I'm grateful to introduce Jody Green, my good friend, uh, uh, associate area director, not associate, she's the co-area director, not associate area director, what am I saying? I don't know, uh, of Young Life here in this community. And I can remember year one getting a chance to meet Jody, and she was like, yeah, I remember those tears we shed uh, on your couch. I was like, I do remember that. And I'm just so grateful that she is uh, up this morning to teach in Luke 10. So would you open to Luke chapter 10, and would you give a welcome to Jody as you do that, as she comes to teach the word to us this morning. Thank you, Jody. Thank you, Jason. Welcome back. Thank it's going to be awesome. Thank you. I, forgot, I didn't get my, I usually do a different situation, but we're going to do this situation, because this needs to be clear. Do you want a higher? Well, I usually use one of those really ones. Really it's fine. Here, I'm going to get you something. If you find it, it's fine. Otherwise, you guys, it's fine. Welcome to the living room, right? We're under, we're under construction. Um, if this is your first time at Two Rivers, welcome. We're glad you're here. We talk about this space as our living room. So welcome to our living room where we bring in furniture and sit. Yeah, I do. I do, if I'm going to be honest, which let's, let's do that today. Yeah, that's so much better. Thank you. Oh, that was so simple. Ta-da. There we go. All right. My name is Jody Green. I've been a member of Two Rivers. Well, we don't have members. I've been coming here for... Six or seven years, my husband Jeremy and I have been married for 10 years. He plays uh, on the worship team. I have two kids that are being, well, I don't know if they're here. I don't actually see my husband. They're coming here next service. They will be taken care of by the, fo- the wonderful folks who allow us to come and sit and listen uninterrupted. Um, so I'm grateful for the kids ministry team and all the folks over there that are helping them. Corbin and Owen are six and eight, and they are a delight and I'm glad that you're here. Um, I'm on the teaching team. So Two Rivers has pastors. There's a leadership team that helps uh, make decisions and take care of the staff. Then there's a volunteer group of teaching folks who we share the privilege and also the responsibility of bringing a message to the living room every Sunday morning. And so I'm one of the people of a very talented and large group of folks who take turns um, doing this. So I get to be with you today, and I'm grateful for that. We have been in a series... Um, If you haven't been with us or you go the average 2.3 times a month to church, like every Coloradoan, including myself, you might not have been to every service or watched it all. And this is a, this clicker goes this way, okay. We're in a service, a series called, Did Jesus Really Say That? And we're walking through the book of Luke one chapter at a time, one chapter every Sunday with the two prompts, I notice and I wonder. Did Jesus really say that? Jesus says some crazy to us, just things that are interesting, um, complicated, they don't make sense. And so we are just trying to pull those out. And every week, um, someone on the teaching team reads the chapter, and what do they notice, and what do they wonder? And it is like, go to, it's like telling a kid to a dessert buffet and saying, pick one treat. Send your children into a dessert buffet and say, you can have one treat. Can I have one piece of candy and one piece of cake and one piece of uh, uh, brownie and one kind of ice cream? No, no, no. One. One treat. That's what it's like to pick one thing out of an entire chapter of the scriptures. So one reason that that we were okay with that is because we also do want to stir up curiosity for you to go and check out other parts. Like anytime we can come together and then I'm like, I, want to re- I do actually want to read a little bit more about that. Oh, I wish they would have talked about this. Oh, I'm going to go learn about that. Like that, that's a win because man, ugh, and I love sugar. That's why I picked a dessert buffet. It, that would be hard for me to do as well. 
Um, we have already had some great nuggets in the first nine chapters as we've been doing this. So David at one point talked to us about familiarity kills wonder, and wonder is a central tenet to our faith. Wonder is very, it's an imperative being a follower of Jesus. So he talked to us about familiarity with the text, with our faith, with certain things can kill wonder. Eli highlighted that the new wineskin of Jesus' kingdom requires us not to seek gifts like peace, patience, or wisdom, but while we seek Jesus, those things are granted to us. Jesus is the point. Um, and through that pursuit of Jesus, we can get rid of this old wineskin of earning it. I have to be good enough. I have to do enough to get the benefits. And that is not the way. Lucas drew us, well, for me specifically, just the anger of Jesus towards death. Like the way he took our heads and just pointed them towards this reality that Jesus, it was so furious that death exists and separates us. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. In Luke 8, he was so mad at that separation but he just, he just, it just longs for us to know that's not the way it's supposed to be. And it gave me a place like to put my anger, not on people, not on myself, not on circumstances, but on the reality that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. So how do I use that creatively then to go be a bringer of the kingdom? Um, and then Jason has reminded us several times over the course of the chapters that grace isn't fair, it's favor. Grace isn't fair, it's favor. We don't want fair. It's not. And last week, he was talking about how we're invited to uncertainty, discomfort, and the surrender of our control as we are discipled by Jesus. And all those things, Jesus says, those are things you have to embrace discomfort, let go of control as you are discipled by me. And it's been good. It's been rich. There's been some good stuff. And I'm really grateful to have been a part of learning from everyone. Today we're looking at chapter 10. Chapter 10 is the beginning of eight chapters in Luke that are recorded nowhere else. So there's the synoptic gospels, which is a fancy word of say, like they kind of have some of the same stories. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of the same accounts in different perspectives. And we can, so you can kind of bounce around from the three to learn and gain insight on different things. But in Luke 10 through 17, only place you can find them is in Luke. So we're about to journey into a place where only Luke will take us. And that's exciting. So it also feels like, ah, ah. And then the chapters are long. There's a lot of good stuff in this chapter. It starts off with Jesus saying, gathering 72 folks and sending them out to do all the things he was doing, healing, um, miracles. He had already done it with 12 earlier in the chapter before, and all of the gospels record that. 12 people, go. In Luke, he talks about how he's like, all right, let's bring in some more people. Let's do it again. He sends them out with some similar imperatives, and he sends them out, and they do stuff, and they come back. That's just the first part of Luke. And then we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you've been around faith for one and a half days, you've heard this story. And if you haven't, it's one of the best. So I'm like, if they've come and they've never heard the Good Samaritan and I don't talk about the Good Samaritan, I am doing them a disservice. It's amazing. There's so much stuff in the Good Samaritan. The person you hate the most is the one you're supposed to be like and moving towards pain and all this kind of stuff. So that's and the guy who's like trying to test him and like revealing his heart and like, ooh, that's me. I have that heart. So good. So good. Then it's still not over. It ends with Mary and Martha in a scene where Jesus goes and is being hosted by Mary and Martha. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet while Martha's making sure everything is ready. And Martha is angry and comes in and just kind of snips. Hey, 
glad we're having this little like kumbaya moment, but no one's eating today if someone doesn't get in the kitchen and help me. And I, I was thinking about like a older sister, younger sister situation. I can, I mean, I see that in my house daily. Hey boys, you can't come down to your room is clean. My youngest is laying on the floor, throwing things at the ceiling, and my oldest, firstborn responsible one, is just crying. He's not even helping. We're never gonna get to leave the room. He's making it messier, mom. And Owen's like, don't care. I'll stay here all day, whoopity-doo. I feel that, right? I see that in Mary and Martha, and I'm like, yes. Jesus, I understand. We could, we could go there. Oh. But we're not. We're not talking about all those things because this is about one thing that I noticed and I wondered about. And so when I read this, as much as I wanted to go to all these different places that have like impacted my life and I think are beneficial, um, this is what I noticed in my study of um, going through Oh, did I miss? This was funny. I did the slide this morning in a really funny way. So this is not the slide, but it is important to what I'm about to say. Um, Luke 10, 21. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open up, Luke 10, 21 isn't on the screen on purpose. Um, Luke 10, 21 says this. This is after the 72 had come back and they had done a bunch of cool stuff. And he's like, that's great. Yes, be excited about that. But the most important thing is knowing that your name is written in the kingdom of heaven. And then right after that, it says this, Luke 10, 21. Jesus, at the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. That is what stood out to me. As I listened to this on audio, as I was reading through it in different translations, different versions, it just kept standing out to me because I was like, is, is there any other place in scripture where it talks about Jesus being filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit? Filled with the Spirit, absolutely. But there's not. This is the place. This is the one place where it talks specifically about Jesus being filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Oh, thanks, you guys, Jeff. <laughs> Way to go, Jeff. Um, this is it. So that's what I noticed, and I wonder. So this word joy, um, filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So there it is, joy. I looked it up. You have to be careful when you just look up meanings of words. It, you can get real, it can get real wonky if you just decide, I'm going to look up a definition of a Hebrew or Greek word, a language we do not know or speak, and then decide I'm going to learn a lot from just looking up a word. So I get that, and... It is helpful when you want to find out other places where this word is mentioned, and that context can help us define it. It is helpful when the word, when it does actually define and give a fuller expression, because translation's weird. Like, not every word translates word for word. There are some words in some languages based on all of the different things that, like, oh, this one word for love is eight words in this language, in the spectrum of definition. So that, I think, is really beneficial. So this word Joy, this is where the other awesome slide comes in. So am I going the right way? Are you doing this or am I doing this? Oh, great. <laughs> so I'm going back and forth. Ah! So this is the word, joy, okay? Egaliasado, not even close. That's the word, okay? That's the word for joy. Sometimes it gets translated rejoice, which is a very muted, unhelpful translation I have learned. Because this is what it means, getting so glad one jumps in celebration because so experientially joyful. That is different than rejoice. Rejoice for me is very muted and kind of formal for me. 
So I was like, oh, this is great. Um, it also says another, another word is, oh, that's really, it's coming. Wait for it. <laughs> Wild joy, ecstatic delight, exhilaration. That's another way that this word can be translated. And so when I was up at, I get um, the privilege of getting to go up and, and run a lot of camps with my work as I work for a nonprofit called Young Life. And so we were up there with 500 volunteer leaders across the entire Front Range region. My husband was out of town, so I, had, I brought my kids along in a series of babysitting and just not knowing where they are. The weekend was great. At the end of it, I wasn't doing, I was the camp director. And so at the last time we were gathering, our last club is what we call it, all I was doing was welcoming, welcoming people into the club room on the stage, just welcoming them and going to just say, hey, welcome. And then the event was going to start. My friend, uh, Kyle Taylor, was in the sound booth, and the speaker that weekend had mentioned The Greatest Showman in one of her talks, which I love The Greatest Showman. I just do. I, I love the songs. They're great. And so because Kyle's my friend, and I'm just standing on the stage welcoming people, he starts playing a song from The Greatest Showman just for me, just because he knows I like it, and it was giving me something to do with my hands, <laughs> okay? Comes in, and people start walking in, and people start dancing. Well, I don't, I'm like, this is great. This song is awesome. And so I just kind of start dancing, and it kind of the chorus kind of ends, and they loop it back. And, they, and I was like, well, and more people come in, and more people come in, and more people are dancing. And they were like, oh, this is happening. And I see my kids up in the very back dancing, too. And I'm like, yeah. And so we're just, it's a dance party. They looped the song four times through this, through this little chorus. And I'm dancing. And at one point, I see my six-year-old Owen. And he's just jumping. And I just run up. And I say, do you want to come on stage? And he's like, yeah. And he follows me down on stage just because he, you know, he's like me a little bit. And so and we're just jumping from now on. Uh, and we will come back home, and we will come back home again. Oh my gosh, from now on. Oh my gosh, it's just like, I love it. I just think about Jesus welcoming his people back in. I can't not. I'm like, I'm like my friend Ian. Everything has some kind of double meaning. I love the song. And someone took a video and sent it to me, and that's what we're going to watch. And I, I just feel it. And I'm wearing, I realized during worship, I'm wearing the same pants. <laughs> not on purpose, but it happened. <laughs> So this is, this is a friend, my friend Brian made this video and sent it to me, um, so we're gonna watch it. a hug. Oh, he like, I was like, you did so good, buddy. And he, was, he just wanted to be on stage. And it was just so, it was just so sweet and precious. And then afterwards, my eight-year-old, who had been standing next to, to Owen, I said, Corbin, hey, he goes, mom, <clears throat> I just want you to know I'm not really a stage guy. <laughs> I just wasn't going to go down there. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people stand on the stage and everybody watches. I just, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And I was like, sweetie, that's okay. So Owen's on the front dancing with me. Owen's in the back with noise-canceling headphones on. So that's my kids. There we go. Um, I, just be, I can feel it. I go, obviously, I experienced it. So I, watching that, I can feel it again. I can just like, oh. And there's all these just, you know, volunteers, adults, just kind of caught up in a moment. Wild joy, ecstatic, 
exhilaration, experientially joyful, like it, your body has to move. Um, uh, that's the word. That's the word that Jesus, that's what Jesus was filled with in this moment. Oh, I noticed that. So I wonder, so I thought, okay, great. I wonder where else we can find this word in the scriptures. Um, so we can let scripture interpret scripture. And so I went through and we found some places where we can find this word in scripture too. So there's a, an account in Acts. Paul and Silas have been traveling through um, and doing ministry. And they had healed this demon girl which, who was telling the future. And so the people who were making money off of that gift were mad because they healed her. She no longer could tell the future. There goes their you know, passive income stream. And so they get mad, beat them up, throw them in jail. While they're in jail, they sing at night. Jail shakes, the whole cage shakes, and, and the doors fling open, and the jailer thinks the people have escaped, and he goes to take his own life because he knows that that's not okay. Paul stops him and says, no, 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 we're still here. We're still here. Jailer takes Paul and Silas to his house, tends to his wounds. His whole family is baptized, and this is, the jailer brought Paul and Silas into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So that's, that's, that, that word is wild joy, ecstatic, exhilaration, so, just, just so experientially joyful, so experientially joyful. Another place is in the Beatitudes, which is the place where Jesus is doing his, one of his famous sermons. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. That's the same word. Wild joy, ecstatic, exhilaration. Be experientially joyful because this is happening to you. Same word. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she said, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Literally, and that one... If you've been pregnant, you know, you can, you can feel it when your baby is moving after you get past that third trimester. That's the same word, and, and it actually happened. The baby leapt for joy, moving, just, oh, overcome. There's just some other places where we find the same exact word. So I, I noticed this verse. I wondered where else it was in the scriptures. Here are some places, and then as I thought about, okay, well, how do we... How do we study and look into biblical joy? I know um, that you cannot define biblical joy apart from suffering. You, you can't. Um, you, yeah, and I'm going to say this too. Anything that I say that you wonder about yourself, follow that thread. Like, I don't know if that's true. I don't know. What about this passage? That's wonderful. That's the stage we're trying to set. You can disagree with me as long as it's biblically. Okay, that's okay. I'm fine with that. Like, I don't agree with you. I'm like, great. Through the text, that's fine. Let's do that. Let's make each other sharper and stronger in that way. But this is what I've noticed and seen and studied in the scriptures and experienced in my life is that you cannot define biblical joy apart from suffering. So we think about the accident count where Paul and Silas are in jail. The jailer, in a matter of hours, from like, I might need to end my own life because it's forfeit if I've lost these prisoners to his entire household being welcomed in to a family of God and who knows their backstory. That joy very much tied to suffering, literally tied to Paul and Silas's physical suffering. And who knows what the backstory is of that household right there. We think about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 12, we just read it. 
Rejoice when? When people mock you, when they lie to you, when they persecute you like they did the prophets of old, most of which were martyred. Very much connected. Very much connected. It doesn't say, blessed are those who have a wonderful day and their mortgage rates and interest rates were locked in before everything got crazy and your kids are making great choices. Rejoice. Should we? Yeah, we should probably be thankful, but that's not what it's tied to here. That's not what it's tied to here in the text. There's another place in um, James, very famous place. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. New Testament theology, joy and suffering are linked. You cannot separate them. You cannot separate them from what I can see in the text. And this is a landing place. These are just some of kind of some flyby of many places you can find this. But I think one of the most compelling for me is Psalm 126. I'm going to read all of it, but the part, the last two verses are on the screen for you. <clears throat> this is a song that the people of uh, Israel would sing when they were on their way to a festival. They would travel three times a year to go to these festivals, and they had a they had a playlist. So you put uh, whoever had ox would put in their favorite version of these songs, and they would. Um, play these songs. So when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. And then we have these verses you see here. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Another uh, translation says, those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. Though they weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. And the harvest, another way to think about that is armloads of blessings. Armloads of blessings. So in this psalm, we see Something very, very, very interesting. And what you see here is that suffering is the seed of joy. You go out and your tears and your pain and your ache and you're planting those. You're planting those. And what is birthed from that? What is grown from that? What comes out of suffering? Joy. What comes out is joy. The origin of joy is suffering. If you want to only have joy and you avoid suffering, you cannot do it in the kingdom of God. You cannot have both, one without the other, in the kingdom of God. Jesus wants us to have this joy. His examples and his teaching hold consistently to these. Sometimes, I think, um, some of our in inputs, some of our streams, some of the things that we gather information from can pit joy and suffering against each other, as if they were lived on opposite ends of a spectrum, right? <clears throat> you have joy on this side, pain, suffering, heartache on this side. They are not opposite ends of a spectrum. They actually come from one another. So it's going to be helpful for us as we think about this to have a few different definitions about some components of our faith. Strong theology and a strong faith walk include looking at things from three different ways. Think of a stool. Think of the legs of a stool. One leg is, is your own personal experience. To try to understand the world without understanding your own experience would be foolishness. So you have to know that your experience is a part of that. Another one of those legs is the scriptures, the word of God. 
We use the scriptures when we try to develop a strong theology and a strong walk of faith. And the third one is the, the church tradition. The church tradition, the history of the saints, those who have gone before us, the ancestors who have been before us, what did they believe about this? What did they think? How can we learn from hundreds and hundreds of generations before us? So those three pillars, you have your lived experience, the scriptures, and the church tradition of our, our family, our bigger cloud of witnesses around us. That's how using those three things, you know you can sit pretty solidly on something um, if you think of your stool of theology. So one of the ways in our tradition, something I just want to unpack is the reality that we have grown up, if you grew up in a faith or if you haven't and you're exploring it the first time, you need to know that the waters that we swim in in our church tradition, for the most part, in our country is a celebration theology. Celebration theology means we focus and look at most things through the lens of Christ as victor over the powers of evil. And that's wonderful and true, and I'm grateful for it. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So if you know anything about that, let's party, okay? Let's have traditions, let's party, let's celebrate. Woo, pink pants, okay? Great. That's not the only thing, though. That's our tradition. There are other faith traditions, and some of you maybe have grown up with this, and it's called lament theology. And we've talked a lot about lament here in our living room, but lament theology focuses more on Christ as a suffering servant. The point of following Jesus is to know that someone suffers alongside you. It's not that, oh, the suffering ever ends, it's so when I suffer, at least I'm not alone. And so if we can, we'll have just kind of a synopsis here. So these are just two different traditions, and our tradition, for most of us, we need to know that our tradition comes from celebration theology. These are not good or bad. They're not better or worse. You just, it's really helpful to know the waters that you're swimming in as we look at the text. So celebration theology, Christ, Christus Victor, if you're like into that stuff, triumph over evil and his future reign is undisputed king. Let's go. I love it. It's got to happen. I gotta know that all this nonsense is gonna be set right. Am I right? Come on, someone's gonna come and done. I need that in my life. Lament theology, though, focuses on Jesus as a suffering servant who came on mission to bear with, suffer alongside others, and setting an example for us that we too will suffer. That's just a different lens. And when you know when your when your tradition holds celebration theology. It's just helpful to know because it'll make sense then. Why is it harder for me to engage in certain things? Why does this feel a little bit like speaking a foreign language maybe or like doing, like kicking the ball with your left foot or riding with your non-dominant hand? Like why does it feel a little like, eh? Um, it's because that's mostly what the liturgical and uh, Protestant traditions have, have grown up with here in our country where we are. So that's just helpful. They need each other, and it's helpful for us to know where we lean. We will gravitate towards what we are most comfortable with, and we need help developing muscles somewhere else. Okay, so think about it like this. If you're a fan of team sports, like sports where you play with a team, if you're an offensive coordinator or you are, you're thinking about scoring points, whatever sport is your sport, you're thinking about scoring points, and that's how you see the field, that's how you see the court, that's how you see all this stuff. You're thinking offense, we score, we win. Outscore, outscore, important. Defense, stop them from scoring. Stop, prevent, do not stop. Nope, nope, defense, this is what we do. No, we stop and prevent. It's one better or worse? I mean, you're, you, they can, you can have a better or worse, but are they better or worse? Are they both necessary? Are they both important? Yes. But we need to know where we tend, like everyone around us and all we hear is like, yes, outscore, outscore, outscore. We might not put a lot of value in defend, stop, defend. 
No, this is important too. And celebration and lament are like that. We have, we swim in the waters of celebration. Um, and the way that they have, that you can show that is like the CCLI numbers that people, every time you sing a song, there's a little number down there. Churches are supposed to report those to someone. <laughs> and then they keep track of the most popular songs every year and who's singing what and kind of what's going on. 87% of those songs over the last four years are songs of praise and worship which means 13% are songs of lament. 40% of our songs in our songbook in the Psalms are lament, 40. Um, and so they're just that, that, that's not bad. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying that's just something to be aware of that we tend to lean more um, towards celebration, seeing like, yes, God will win, but how do I engage when I'm losing? And why does that feel hard? And why do we need some help? And that's like, oh, it kind of is a grace extender to ourselves, oh, it makes sense that this is hard. That makes sense. My tradition is here. Oh, that makes sense. There's nothing wrong with me. This makes sense. Okay, on we go. So, oh, well, this is where it gets exposed, okay? Your life exposes it, okay? Your life exposes this reality for us. When something doesn't go well. Suffering exposes the um, places where celebration theology falls short very quickly. Just like there are pitfalls in lament theology too, but we're gonna, I'm talking from my own personal tradition. There are just some really, like exhaustion. Exhaustion is something. So talk to new parents or a, or a CSU student that's currently in midterm slash waiting for finals. Like exhaustion lowers our capacity to behave how we think we're supposed to. And for people in celebration theology, it's like, yeah, I'm awake or I'm happy. I'm sleeping or I'm happy. Woo, God's good all the time. Woo. Um, meanwhile, it's not good. I'm not fine. I don't know what's going on. Um, I'm wearing a, when I was in college, I was a um, college basketball player. And so I had a lot of identity wrapped up in being an athlete. And when we, um, when my career ended, very tragically, by the last second shot in the Sweet 16. It's a story for another time. It's still, still hard to think about. I, my identity was shattered. I, I, lost my, I lost who I was. Who am I if I'm not this? And it led me into like a four-year process of trying to find it in other things, trying to wear other stuff. And so the Lord finally just had me surrendered. But I, didn't, I realized I don't have any tools to deal with this. My identity was this. I didn't know how to deal with all this negative emotion. And so then I started to eat my way through it. I was like, okay, I'm going to eat these feelings. Um, I started to like try to date my way through it. Well, I'll just I'll be affirmed by men. Um, and I'll try to be perfect. I'll just perform my way through it. I will just do this well. And that didn't work. It, it, it didn't work. I didn't have the tools I needed to be sad because I thought joy and suffering were on opposite ends of a spectrum. I had no idea that this suffering was what was going to propel me into the actual joy of the Lord that I hadn't tasted or seen before. I didn't, no one told me, and that's nobody's fault. I just, because of my celebration tradition, I just kind of lived over here and I'm like, am I supposed to just proclaim that God is good enough times that my broken heart will heal? That didn't work. It wasn't working for me. Um, and then I was introduced into some different tools, a different tradition, a different way to look at things. And it was really helpful. And then I learned, oh my gosh, my joy that I longed for is actually this, it's born out of this suffering. This whole time I was throwing these seeds away. I was throwing all these tears. I was like, and if I just would let them 
plant in me, feel them, grow them, wait them out, let the ground rest, join in the process, there was something better for me on the other side. And I see it all over the scriptures. Jesus is like, do not, like take heart, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. He doesn't say, take heart, you won't have any trouble after you start following me, like we know that. You all could probably get up and say these things and believe it, but we have to get it from our head into our feet of faith, where we give ourselves permission to not be okay, but not just to like, just, just to give up. I'm talking about what does it look like to have biblical joy because I know how to engage in suffering through a lens of faith. And that is where joy comes. Proverbs 25:20. I think I actually have this one up here too. This, this exposes celebration theology perfectly. Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar on a wound. <clears throat> yeah, anybody? Yeah? Hey, like you come into church and you're devastated and they're like, I think Connor set us up so well today and his little, and talking about like, hey, maybe you've never, you're never gonna let me down. I'll be, I've one of those people who refuses to sing that bridge. Because I'm like, baloney, you totally let me down. I don't care whose perspective it's from. You let me down, that's what I think. My perspective is my reality, that's my reality. I'm not singing that part of the song. But I sang it today because of the way he set it up, because of the way he held it, and because it was true. Instead of like, just be okay. Nobody wants to be around someone who's sad. I'm like, baloney, that's not true. So thank you, Proverbs, for doing that for us. Um, we have a song I would like us just to listen to. Um, it's just a first minute and a half of the song. That's a beautiful expression of a lament song. Um, it's called Take Me to the King by Tamla Mann, and I'm gonna have my friend Jeff play the first part of it for us, and I just want us to listen to it. And, and what do you notice and what do you wonder? the songs straight fire as the kids would say um, but I was introduced to this I didn't know it was okay to like sing those kinds of things like 
Truth is, I'm all churched out, hurt and abused. I got no tears to cry even if I tried. And there is a space and a time for that that is appropriate and good. And I think, um, I know we all are on those journeys trying to find tools to deal with our emotions. Um, Because if you can't numb one emotion, you numb one, you numb them all. You can't numb the bad and think you're still gonna experience the good. You won't. You can't, if you don't plant the seeds of suffering, come spring, there will be no joy. So you just can't. And I didn't know that until someone told me that. In the space that I found inside of myself when I started to let myself know that every emotion is an invitation into a conversation with God, instead of thinking there's good emotion and bad emotion, I realized every emotion is exhibited in Jesus and in my scriptures, and that is my guide. Jesus wants to give us a gift of joy, he says in John 16. In Hebrews, it says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Joy is a gift. Joy empowers us, actually, to do hard things. Jesus is super clear. He's, in John 16, he tells the disciples about being hated by the world, expelled from synagogues, and their own future martyrdom. Um, he tells them, like, it's okay. You will grieve. Yeah. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy like a woman in labor. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. No one can rob you of that joy. Joy births from grief. No one can take it from you. People can take your fake, toxic positivity all day. No one can take my joy from me. And I've tasted it, church. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good on this promise. The extent to which I get courage to grieve is the extent to which I have the ability to be wildly ecstatic, exhilaration, experientially joyful. And I'm telling you, they're not that far apart. They're not that far apart. It's not a whole stinking process all the time. They live right next to each other too. The roots of sorrow are the flowers of joy. They are still connected. We travel that synapse quickly and frequently as we grow and mature in faith not worried about which one we're supposed to be feeling, but knowing all of them loop back together. Jesus wants to give us the gift. So as we look at this text that stood out, at the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Why did he say that? Why is he hiding it from people like me who think they're wise and clever and need some help? Over and over and over and over and over in the scriptures, I couldn't even, I didn't wanna, there's just Matthew 18, Mark 9, Luke 9, all these places, Jesus like become like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Give up all your responsibilities and don't brush your teeth? No, that is not what it means. It means all of the things that we take on as grownups, we lose our wonder We see the world as it is, not as it's supposed to be. What can we learn from children, childlike? What can we learn from children about joy and suffering? I think they have something to teach us. My kids don't hide their emotions. Lord have mercy, they do not hide their emotions. Being a child, we we are a child with God. Uh, Kat Armas, she has um, an MDiv in biblical studies, and she says this about children. And she's talking about how when Jesus is walking through the, um, there's a point in the scriptures in Matthew 18 where Jesus, the people are yelling at him, but the children are, it says the children are saying 
There he is, the son of God. The children are the ones. They're trying to silence the children because they're singing like, God, oh, that's God, that's Jesus, woo! And there's like some intense stuff going on, but the kids are like, hey, hey. The kids, the children from the, and Jesus reminds them, didn't you not know that from the mouth of babes my praises would be sung? Him quoting another psalm. Unfortunately, as adults, we tend to become conditioned to accept the world the way it is forgetting the power we might hold to undo injustice and see our reality anew. It is our children who will set us free. Not with dominance, power, and coercion, as children and wild animals alike are led today, but with dignity, mutuality, and care. It is through the so-called weakest members of our human family that we have the most to learn about how to relate to the created world. To be like a child is to get over ourselves and our perceived right beliefs, views, and understandings, it is to break from the norm, to reimagine a new world and a new reality where wardrobes are portals to fantasy lands, where wolves lie down with lambs, ants are our greatest teachers, and where injustice has absolutely no place in the house of God. That is what kids have to teach us. Is there childishness to being a kid? Absolutely. But the childlikeness, the childlike, that's who God's revealing it to. It's what I love about my friends with disabilities. They have maintained this childlikeness in the wonder and awe of how they see the world. We were doing a think tank um, last Thursday night. I had all of our leaders together, and we were talking about what should we do if we see a group of kids we don't know bullying someone. Discuss. It's complicated. It's weird. You don't have relational equity. And our, my friends with disabilities throughout the tables, they didn't worry that they weren't supposed to talk about what happened to them. They didn't worry about how it made them look. They just said, honestly, like, you know, when that happened to me all the time, when I was in school, I wish someone would have said something. Or you know what? When someone says mean things to me and makes fun of me, it hurts my feelings so bad. There it is, just out there. I'm 23, I'm not supposed to talk like that anymore. Don't care. They don't have the restrictions on themselves that we as adults put on ourselves, the childlikeness of God. That's what he was celebrating. I am so glad to see you exposing this to the people who think they don't have anything to say, who don't think they have the education, who don't think they have enough laps around the sun or too many laps around the sun. They just don't think they've been, they think they've been disqualified when all God's asking is, no, you have to trust me. You can't think you know what you're doing. And like a kid, you have to believe me. When I tell you I love you, you believe it. When I tell you you can have that, you can have it. When I say stop, you stop because you just trust me. That is what we have to learn here. Why was he glad that he hid it? Because if you show things to people who already think they're smart, they think they're even smarter, and they get a big head. And instead of trying to invite people in, they try to keep people out. Kids don't keep people out. I was so bummed when I taught my kids to read the signs everyone was holding on the side of the road because now they think we should do something about it, actually. Mom, he said, anything helps. What can we give him? I was like, dang it. Just grow up and start ignoring them. <laughs> but they don't because they're like, hey, mom, he has three kids. We should give him three of this. Ah, oh, okay. I just gotta, I don't know. I haven't played, I don't know how that flushes out yet. I don't have a practical on that, but that's the childlike wonder and awe. Kids help. I see it in the rest of the text. Kids help. The Good Samaritan. The Samaritan didn't think about, hey, your people actually killed some of my family members. He just helped. Kids just go. Hey, they need help. Let's go help. Hey, that's happening over here. Let's go see about it. We don't know them. I don't care. We need to go. You see it in the Good Samaritan. You just go like a child. Would you just help people? Would you just let go and help people? 
just entrust me, I'm gonna give you more, so be extravagant in it. 17 days of food and lodging is how much money the Samaritan started with. 17 days of three meals a day and lodging is what he started with. You look at sending out of the 72, just go. Just go, just give it a whirl. What if we fail? Kids don't, they care about failing, trust me. They care about failing, but they're like, hey, go do it. Okay, he said we could do it, I'm gonna go do it. Owen, take that jump, all right. Let's go to the ER. Okay, it's fine. He tried to send it. Send it. Kids will send it, y'all. I had to go down this really big hill because my four-year-old did. And I was like, gosh, darn it. I can't not do it. Send it. We see that. And with Mary and Martha in this text, we see how we're just like, oh, but I'm responsible. I have responsibilities. Yeah, sure, I, can be, I can't be child. I can't be a kid. I have, I have a mortgage. I have responsibilities. Martha's like, I have responsibilities here. And Jesus is like, Martha. I know. I'm not here to eat your meal. I'm here to be with you. Kids, okay, I'll do that later. What's next? Kids are present in the moment. Unless you tell them about a birthday party that's coming up in three days. Do not do that because then you're going to hear about it. Oh my gosh, you're going to hear about it. I want us to leave today thinking about what I could learn from children, the childlikeness. Dick Fulth said, I am a child with God so I can be an adult with people. I position myself as a child with God so I can be an adult with people. We're talking about childlikeness. What about me would make Jesus rejoice that he could show me something about his joy and about his mission because I have become childlike? That's what he's wanting from you. That's what he's wanting. He knows that showing stuff to the wise and the clever, Jesus loves the wise and the clever. He goes, but that's not what they need. They don't need more information. They need submission to me like a child. They need trust. They need to get rid of what they think they know, and they need to know me. And when they suffer, they know I'm with them, lament. And when we kick the tar out of some evil in our lives, they know how to throw a party, celebration. It will not always be this way. Do not forget what God has done. They go hand in hand. So as we leave and as we sing today, I want us to think about what could I learn from, from children? What could I learn from people with disabilities in my life? That they have a built-in joy with them already. Bill already knows. So I wonder how the invitation to be childlike is an invitation into feeling our pain so we can experience wild, ecstatic joy. Worship team, you can go ahead and come back on up. We're gonna sing a couple songs, and one of them says, I lean not on my own understanding. And I think that's a really good place to start. So Lord, thank you for the seeds of suffering that lead to joy. Thank you for the suffering in this room and the harvest that is coming. Thank you for your word and how it gives us permission. Would we all see a kid today and learn something more about you? Amen.